Today on Blue 58, if you squint, you can see something resembling football in Green Bay this week. I've got a few takes on OTAs and a few less discussed players we should probably talk about heading into the summer. And we'll make the turn toward the back half of the Packers' 2021 season recap. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Packers are doing some work on their roster this week during OTAs. They have claimed defensive lineman Chris Slayton off waivers from the San Francisco 49ers. He is a six foot four, three hundred and seven pound defensive lineman out of Syracuse, a 2019 seventh round pick for the New York Giants. He has been a member of the Giants, the Bills, the Falcons, the Steelers, and the 49ers since then, but has yet to appear in an NFL game. Got a 758 relative athletic score, though. Not too bad. Not great, but, you know, not bad either. Certainly above average. Scouts knocked his production a bit coming out of Syracuse. 30 and a half tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks in 43 career games. Uh, per college football reference. Take those stats with a grain of salt. By the way, I've had some trouble with college football reference lately. Their stats not lining up with what schools are reporting. I'm still going to use that because it's the best central sort of clearinghouse for stats, and I don't want to be going to individual player pages at a dozen different colleges trying to track those down. But take them with a grain of salt. I think they had some serious discrepancies with their numbers on Quay Walker. Take it for whatever it's worth. On Slayton, he to me, kind of just looks like a big camp body. Never hurts to take a look. He wasn't a bad college player per se, but nothing super noteworthy either. He does have one interesting nugget in his statistical background, at least. His junior year, 2017, he blocked a PAT for Syracuse. That blocked attempt was then picked up and returned for a two-point score. The first two-point defensive or two-point conversion on defense in Syracuse history. So he is part of a uh, part of history for the Orange, even if just a very, very small part. Anyhow, to the larger picture in Green Bay, OTAs are underway. Like a bit of a knockoff of something much better, we have football in name only going on. Kind of like those bargain basement price direct-to-DVD releases you see in the store every so often. You saw Taken with Liam Neeson, now stream Stolen or play it on your DVD player on some janky streaming service maybe. Uh, there's going to be exactly zero people you've heard in it, heard of in it. Maybe just one guy cashing a check late in his career. That's kind of OTAs. It's mostly guys that either aren't going to make a big impact or um, are just there just to be there. Um, guys like Randall Cobb, Devondre Campbell showing up just to, just to kind of be there. But there are a few storylines worth watching, and I want to talk about three of them coming out of OTAs. First, Alan Lazard's contract situation. Former undrafted free agent Alan Lazard, who has been tendered as a restricted free agent this offseason, which means that in theory he could sign with another team, an offer sheet, and the Packers would have an opportunity to match it or let him go for some draft pick compensation. However, he has not signed his tender, which means that he can't do anything as far as offseason activity stuff. And on top of that, there is no reason not to sign it because the window where he could sign with someone else has closed. So he's not going anywhere but Green Bay. And he's not doing anything in, in terms of off-season stuff. It's weird, if nothing else. Elsewhere in the wide receiver room, I think it is noteworthy that Sammy Watkins is not in attendance for the Packers. Now, a lot of the discussion has centered around Aaron Rodgers not being there, and a lot of it, a lot of the stuff surrounding 
Aaron Rodgers being at OTAs or not being at, at OTAs has has come down to some kind of character sketch about Aaron Aaron Rodgers. Like it's some sort of reflection on who he is as a person that he doesn't want to be there. Uh, the Mike Florios of the world or whatever working themselves into a frenzy about um, you know Rodgers not being there. Uh, saw a different story where Lamar Jackson wasn't going to OTAs and Florio was writing about how the the foundation for a championship team is being laid right now in Baltimore and Lamar Jackson needs to be there. I mean, maybe, but also if it keeps your superstar quarterback happy to not be at OTAs, I think that's probably a, a bigger net gain. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers has won back-to-back MVPs and Lamar Jackson has also won an MVP. I think it's not hurting their level of performance all that much. However, I think there is a case to be made that maybe they should be doing a little bit of work with some of the new guys. But more importantly, I think the new guys need to be there. And Sammy Watkins is one of those new guys. If nothing else, just show up and figure out where the bathrooms are at Lambeau Field in the practice facility, something like that. Just be there. And he will be there eventually, but I think it's it's noteworthy that he's chosen to not be there at this point. The level of noteworthy, pretty low, but noteworthy nonetheless. Finally, David Bakhtiari. He's not doing anything. He's in Green Bay. He's at OTAs, but participating only with the rehab group. It's been more than 500 days since he tore his ACL. Happened on the very last day of 2020, December 31st, 2020. If you are concerned about his ACL recovery at this point, I think that is okay. I would consider myself fairly concerned too. He probably shouldn't be doing a lot at OTAs anyway. There's nothing that he needs to prove at this point in his career. There's nothing he really needs to learn. But the fact that he isn't, or maybe, and we don't have really confirmation on this, maybe he can't do anything at OTAs, it's somewhat worrisome. I know every ACL recovery is different, but it kind of feels like 17 months, almost 18 months into this, that explanation is starting to wear a little bit thin. It's been a long time. And what we've seen so far in terms of recovery stuff has not been great. Cheesehead TV had their exclusive interview with him late last season, whenever that was, just talking about how it just, it never, it wasn't coming back. It wasn't coming back. There's too much fluid, too much fluid, too much fluid. It wasn't that he wasn't working hard. It wasn't that he wasn't you know, doing everything he was supposed to, it was just not recovering how they thought it would. And he had to have a follow-up procedure done. And boy, it's it's getting to be, it's been a long time since the original injury. And I think if you're concerned, I don't think that's unfair. Beyond that, as far as OTA stuff and off-season stuff in general, I think the real storyline is, just from a fan's perspective, cross your fingers and hope nobody gets hurt or does something stupid. In terms of coverage of OTAs, you're going to hear stuff like so-and-so had a big catch. This guy made a nice interception. This guy, boy, he looks good out there. Uh, My favorite, this guy looks the part. They should all look like football players, right? Because they are. Or you see stuff about how these guys are starting together. None of it is worth anything. So I don't think we should even really talk about it. If you're talking about which offensive line groups are going out there in training camp... That, I think, is noteworthy because we're preparing for actual games at this point. But in OTAs, I saw one report that said they had Royce Newman bumping out to right tackle. It could happen, I suppose. I hope it doesn't. If they're seriously preparing for that in May, 
um, they probably got bigger problems because there's probably someone who could do a better job at right tackle than Royce Newman could still looking for a job. Uh, related to OTAs, and this is something that is going to come up throughout the throughout the offseason and summer and, and things like that, but uh, roster sleepers. I want to talk about a few guys who are maybe less heralded, maybe guys that we haven't talked about as much. I'm not saying that they're going to make a huge impact, but I think it's worth exploring those less well-touted guys. I don't know if there's any true roster sleepers this year. There's Looking up and down the roster, I don't think there's anybody that's like brand new that we don't know anything about. We're kind of like, oh, what's this guy? What's his story? He's, he's something else. But maybe I think lightly regarded is what we should be looking at. And I've got four guys I think we should we should talk about, one of whom has been a fairly frequent flyer on this show. The first, though, is KB Onento, the cornerback out of Colorado. And if nobody's talking about him at this point, I think that's fair. He's a converted wide receiver coming into his third season, got beaten out for a roster spot by essentially non-cornerback Isaac Yadam last year. The Packers did not have Yadam on the roster to play corner. They had him on the roster to play special teams. And that Ento could not show enough as a corner to beat out that kind of guy, I think is concerning especially as, as far as last year goes. But in terms of this year, I think he's worth a little bit of attention because he's still an elite athlete. He could still, at least in theory, do the coverage stuff. That was never the problem with him last summer. Tackling was the real issue for Ento. And as a converted wide receiver, I think that's fair. But with that skill set, elite athleticism, being pretty good in coverage, I think he's got a chance to take advantage of the cornerback depth being a problem. He's going to have to stave off a guy like Kaishan Nixon, who's going to be this year's Isaac Yadam, especially given his previous connections to Rich Bisaccia. But there's an opportunity to be had there. The next guy on my list is Randy Ramsey. I don't know whether to call him really an edge rusher or a linebacker. He's a little bit of both. He's coming out of Arkansas, and he's been kind of kicking around the Packers for a few years now. Nobody's talking about him at this point because he tore up his knee early in camp last year, like the first week of August last year type thing. But I think he's interesting to at least take a look at because of his positional versatility. So far with the Packers, he's done a little bit of edge stuff, a little bit of off-ball linebacker stuff, and you can see it with his physical profile why that would be the case. He's in the almost Devondre Campbell mold for an off-ball linebacker, fairly tall, lanky type guy, but has experience rushing the passer both in Green Bay and in college at Arkansas. He, however, is a little bit on the small side for a true edge rusher. So that's, I think, where he gets caught up a little bit, being just kind of a tweener. But he was a solid special teams contributor in 2020, played 204 special team snaps that year. So you can see the path to the roster there, especially given the Packers' edge concerns, at least in terms of depth. We're talking about J.J. Anagbare being a serious contender for the Packers' third edge rusher spot, to say nothing of the fourth or potentially fifth guys out there. I mean, I like Jonathan Garvin as much as the next guy, but that's that's pretty thin. It's thinner than we were talking about Kyler Fackrell being the third edge behind both of the Smiths with Rashawn Gary sort of coming along slowly back in 2019. It is a thinner situation than that, which is saying something. Next guy I'd like to mention is Ray Wilborn, a linebacker out of Ball State. Nobody's talking about him because he's a converted safety. Uh, Moved down, made the conversion in reverse, which is unusual for a lot of guys. Moved uh, from safety to linebacker already in college. And you see the the reason for that, why 
because he's a little bit small for a linebacker at 230 pounds, but that's pretty big, for, especially for a college safety. I think he's worth talking about because nobody really other than Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker should be 100% comfortable with their roster spots. I like Chris Barnes a lot. I think he has a pretty firm ceiling as a player, and I would say he's hardly a lock. And beyond that, it gets even more uncertain. You've got Isaiah McDuffie, Ty Summers, Tariq Campbell, or uh, Tariq Carpenter, excuse me. Um, I, I would be hard-pressed to call any one of those guys even a good bet to make the roster. Uh, two or three of them probably will, but I, I don't see a lot of reason why you automatically slot one of them ahead of Wilborn. Carpenter probably is your best bet, and he maybe is even more of a safety than a linebacker, but uh, just by virtue of being a draft pick this year, he may be slightly ahead, but can't be that far ahead, and he's got a similar background to Wilborn too, a college safety linebacker sort of type. Wilborn's got a shot, and I don't think it'd be surprising to see him make a real run at the roster. Finally, one of this podcast's favorite guys to talk about, Tyler Davis, tight end, uh, entering his second full go with the Packers. Nobody's really giving him a ton of attention because I don't think the Packers tight end position in general right now is all that exciting. There's a lot of just like guys that I would say fall between like a C plus and a B uh, at that position right now, especially considering that uh, Robert Tunyon is back to being a virtual complete unknown at this point, uh, given his ACL injury. But I think Davis has a chance to be one of, if not the best non-Tunyon tight ends on the roster. He's the best non-Mercedes Lewis blocker. He's a pretty good athlete. There are going to be opportunities there. All he has to do to make a, a noteworthy contribution at tight end this year, especially early on, is, is be a better pass catcher than a guy like, I don't know, Dominique Daphne, maybe? He's going to play a more traditional tight end role than either DeGuara or Daphne. He is going to have a chance at some reps with Tunyon out. And if they can get another guy who can block even within a mile as good as Mercedes Lewis, that's a big win. And he charted as a pretty solid blocker last year for Pro Football Focus. So you can see the path there. There's a real good shot that he's going to be a big contributor this year. And I'm very interested to see how things go for him. Before we get into our game-by-game recap, I want to take a second and shout out a few Patreon supporters. Today, we're giving some attention to Andrew Sunderland, Mike Rohde, and Sam Winter, each of whom has been a fairly long-time supporter of Blue58 and ThePowerSweep.com. Why should you be a patron? Real quick pitch for you. You can support the show, help us keep doing the things that we need to do, uh, hosting the show, uh, not in terms of like talking into a microphone, giving it a place to live online, um, making sure we have the, the funds uh, available to make um, equipment upgrades and things like that as they become necessary. We're going to have to make a big purchase as far as a, a studio computer here in the near future because the one that I'm working on right now has been in faithful service since 2012. Um, and on top of that, you just get to be a part of the Power Sweep and Blue 58 community. You get access to our Discord server, and you get to interact with fans of the Green Bay Packers and the show from all around the world. It's really interesting stuff. A lot of good discussion there about all things related to the Packers and some things that aren't. So head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and uh, start your monthly contribution there. Or take advantage of the yearly contribution option there for any amount that you feel comfortable. 
Weeks 10 through 12 were an interesting stretch for the Packers. They shook off the frustration of the situation in in Kansas City and returned back to Green Bay to take on the Seattle Seahawks in Week 10. Packers ended up winning 17 to nothing, but it was a weird slog of a game. Through three quarters, the Packers did lead, but it was just three to nothing. Russell Wilson, in his first game back from a finger injury, was pretty bad. 20 of 40 for 161 yards and two interceptions. Aaron Rodgers, though, not all that much better. 23 of 37 for 292 yards, no touchdowns, and interception. The game really wasn't decided until the Packers' final drive. Seattle wasn't going to make a run, but they were essentially still in the game with trailing just 10-0 midway through the fourth quarter. But the Packers buried them on their final drive. 10 plays, 80 yards, 8.07 on the clock to start, under two minutes remaining by the time the Seahawks got the ball back. A.J. Dillon touched the ball six times on the drive, including the final play, a two-yard run into the end zone. Also had a 50-yard catch and run on that drive, one of his biggest plays in the passing game of the season. If you're looking at lasting impact, I don't think there is one in 2021 per se, but this game represented something. I think it's the end of the Russell Wilson Packers showdown series. Uh, which the Packers have really owned since their loss in the 2014 NFC Championship game. Sure, that's a big one, uh, but the Packers are 4-1 since uh, against the Seahawks and against Russell Wilson. If there was a Packers-Seahawks rivalry, this was the end of it. And what a thrilling end it was. Anything we may have forgotten? Well, speaking of Tyler Davis, he made his first catch in this game. Patrick Taylor, the running back we've championed for quite a while here now, got his first carry in the NFL. It was also the last game in the NFL and with the Green Bay Packers for Whitney Merciless, who tore up his bicep um, in that game. Last regular season game, I should say, because he did return for the playoffs. Week 11, Packers traveled to Minnesota and performed disappointingly. Outcome was a 34-31 Packers loss. Another Packers-can't-get-out-of-their-own-way their own way type game from 2021. The Packers open, or excuse me, the Vikings open this game with three straight scoring drives. The Packers did kick a field goal on their first drive, but otherwise spent most of the first half just kind of messing around. Had another missed field goal in there. They did get it together uh, in the second half, though. Scored touchdowns on all three of their possessions after the break, but it was too little too late because the game was decided right there at the end. The Vikings scored a two-point conversion on their second-to-last drive to go up seven points on their pa- on the Packers. The Packers, getting the ball back just outside the two-minute warning, scored in one play. Big catch and run for Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but the Vikings drove down and nailed a field goal as time expired, which was aided in part by a reversed interception on the part of Darnell Savage. Picked it off, had it overturned. Bit of a snake-bitten player in 2021, Darnell Savage. Lasting impact, ultimately nothing from this game. Uh, The Packers losing a game they should win because they can't get out of their own way, though. Well, I mean, that was the trend for 2021. When they did lose, that was why, and that ended up being what did them in, including, in this game too, a missed, missed field goal being a problem. Sure could have used an extra three points. Um, In terms of little things that we've forgotten, Darnell Savage had another pick in this game taken away by a personal foul. That was the second time that happened in 2021, the first time being in Week 1 against the New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville. Finally, in Week 12, the Packers returned to Lambeau Field a week away from their bye. 
and probably played the best game of the year. Packers won this game 36-28 to over the Rams. I say game of the year, and I really mean that. They'd just come off a disappointing road loss. They were a week away from the bye. They were hurt. The Rams were flying high, really trending upward toward the back half of the season. They just added Odell Beckham Jr. The Packers could have turtled. They could have just said, look, we're a week away from the bye. We really need to get healthy. Instead, they came out ready to play. And we had a real heavyweight fight during this game. High scoring, 2017 at the half. Packers took it away in the third quarter, including the moment when the game was decided. Rasul Douglas returning an interception 33 yards for a touchdown to make it 36-17. to Packers had at that point already scored on their first two drives of the second half. Rams facing a third and seven on their own 28. Here comes Rasul Douglas picking off the pass, returning it for a touchdown. In terms of lasting impact, boy, this would have been the first or the the perfect first chapter in a two-part fight between the Packers and Rams. The second one should have been in the NFC Championship game. Should have been. But alas, the Packers once again could not get out of their own way. In terms of things we've forgotten, mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. making his debut for the Rams in this game. It was a solid debut. Five catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers also had another rushing touchdown in this game. Did a lot of damage on the ground in 2021, especially down near the goal line. This one on a quasi-read option look where he outran Jalen Ramsey to the corner. Always hate to see Jalen Ramsey get pushed around a little bit. Just, Just a real bummer, isn't it? That is going to do it for weeks 10 through 12 in terms of our recap. And this normally would be where I would leave you. Because that is all I've got for you on today's episode. But I am going to close a little bit differently today. Um, And I apologize in advance because this might take me a couple takes here. You might hear a couple edits in here. But I need to make you aware of something that affected this week's shows and will affect next week's too. I know I could just say, hey, only one show next week or something like that and just leave it at that. But I want you to hear this because this is partly for me anyway. Um, and I just I just want to share this with you. There was no show on Wednesday because Tuesday evening, one of this show's most devoted listeners passed away. That listener was my grandpa. And I would like to tell you a little bit about him. Glenn Meerdink was, and boy, do I hate saying that in the past tense, a real pillar of a man, literally and physically. He was 87 years old when he died, but he was still almost as big as I am and still strong in many ways. He ran a construction company for most of his professional life, and it showed. One of the things that I always noticed about him was his hands. He had huge, powerful hands the kind that you really only get through a life of manual labor. And whenever we said goodbye during the times when I'd visit, he would say some cliche old band phrase like, put her there, or let's have it, or something like that. And he'd make me squeeze his hand as hard as I could while he squeezed back, and we'd have this little contest of strength. We'd started doing it when I was pretty little. And he always then let me win, as you do with little kids. By the time I was grown up, he didn't have to let me win anymore. But I don't think he ever really knew how hard he made me work, even into his 80s. He was a strong, strong guy. But he was more than a physically big man. He made a big emotional and spiritual impact wherever he went to. Now, he did fit the stoic old Dutch guy stereotype in a lot of ways. 
But he was also very tender and kind and loving to his children and his grandchildren and the now 15 great-grandchildren he had, two of which are mine, especially as he, he got older. He softened a lot. He was mischievous and funny and incredibly, incredibly intelligent, especially when it came to math and science. He was a tinkerer, would build stuff, incredible things in his workshop, and he would always tell me about the things he was working on. Um, <laughs> he would often run the math by me and say something like, oh, you see it? Or you got that? Which meant I should check his math. And I always just nodded and said, yep. For one thing, he was never wrong. And for another, more than half the time, it was over my head anyway. Um, but the most important thing I think about him was how he lived his convictions. He was a pillar in his church, the church I grew up in. Uh, and he really lived out his faith. Now, maybe you're religious and maybe you aren't. But either way, I hope you can at least respect a guy who put his money where his mouth is in terms of what he believed. He was deeply committed to caring for people in his community and around the world through his church and through a ministry called Words of Hope, which spreads the gospel of Jesus through radio broadcasting. He went on numerous missions trips over the years to build broadcasting facilities in remote areas of Central America, Africa, and Europe. He, like I said, ran a construction company, and he used that expertise and his love of the gospel and love of people he thought needed to hear it to build those facilities. Now, I share that faith, and I'm going to miss just sitting and talking with him about, about that and about things we've read or wondered about or had questions about, because he wasn't afraid to ask questions about things that he still believed very deeply now, if you're seeing some trends here, I, you are probably rightly guessing that he had a big impact on me. He did. And many of the things that I like about this show are a result of stuff he instilled in my dad, who then passed them on to me. And I'm grateful for that impact. And I'm very sorry that the time of my life with him in it is over. And I know I'm lucky to have had him for this long, but I love him very much even now that he's gone. And I, I, I really look forward to being back with him someday. And whenever that day comes, I hope he's ready for a brat and a great game of cribbage whenever I get to wherever he is. So I just wanted to share a little bit of that with you. Uh, next week, I'll be in Wisconsin for the funeral. So we're not going to have a show on Wednesday and potentially not on Friday either. And in the grand scheme of this kind of stuff, you know, this show, Packers, content, a podcast about football isn't very important. I know you know that. I certainly know that. But I still wanted to give you a heads up anyway because it's going to push back the start of our book club. In the meantime... Pray for my grandma, who was married to my grandpa for 66 years as of last Monday. And uh, also my family, if you're so inclined. We're missing a, a real giant of a man right now. And we're going to be for a while. So thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your understanding. And we'll see you next time on Blue 58.